Okay, so last week we looked at the fellowship that we have with Christ and the fellowship that we have with one another in Him. And this week we're going to look at the love that we ought to have for one another because of the love that God has for us. And this will help us to think very practically about what our lives should look like in respect to, to each other. So let's go ahead and begin by turning in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. And uh, we're going to be reading a pretty extensive portion here in 1 John 3 and also 1 John 4. First John 3, we're going to read verses 11 through 24. And then in 1 John 4, we're going to read verses 7 through 21. So, Will, can I ask you to read 1 John 3, 11 through 15? Joy, if you wouldn't mind taking 16 through 18. And Des, if you could take 19 through 24. And then Dave, if you could take... Uh, 1 John 4, 7 through 12. And then, Jessica, if you wouldn't mind taking 13 through 21. There in 1 John 4. Okay. Well, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment. Believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit that he has given us.
Amen. Okay, thank you guys for taking the time to, to read that. So there are a few things uh, you can follow along on your outline there. I just jotted down four things from this passage that we've looked at here in First John 3 and 4, and you can kind of take some notes um, to go along with that. But you see in the first point that I have there is that Jesus commands love for one another, and that is the main theme of, of this part of John's letter. We see it show up throughout the text in various places. Uh, the basic ethical message of Christianity is seen here in verse 11 in chapter 3. You see it up here on the screen. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And then we also see it at the end of this section in chapter 4, verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So these commands, they, they really function as kind of bookends that everything else flows from within this, this section. This aspect of, of loving one another, they underscore that from the beginning the disciples were to be identified by their love for each other. If you remember in John 13, this is how Jesus said that people would know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. Now, the one another in these verses refers specifically to other Christians. Okay, so that's important to keep in mind. You have these continual references to we, us, friends, beloved, little children. They're all references to either Christians or the church. Now, certainly... We, we understand that we are to have a love for all people, Christian or not, but there's a special love that is to consistently exist among the people of God. And then you'll notice here in verse 14 in chapter 3 that John makes very clear for us the evidence or the proof that we have eternal life. Okay? He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brothers. That's a very important passage, isn't it? John's not saying here that if we love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that that will gain us eternal life, but rather that this love proves that we have eternal life. So loving fellow Christians is evidence that new spiritual life has already come. Okay, so it's a display of that. And, and I think if you think about your own life when you became a Christian, that your heart's desire was to be around the people of God, wasn't it? And your delight is to be amongst the company of God's people. And you saw those relationships that you had with people outside of Christ probably start to diminish a little bit because of the commonality now that was lost with them and this love that you had of being with the people of God and talking about Christ. So that, that's a very important mark that John gives here. Again, he's not saying love these people so that you can have eternal life. No, but if you have eternal life, it will be displayed by the reality that you love one another. In fact, without this mark of love, there is no eternal life in a person's soul, but spiritual death remains. And we see that from the rest of verse 14 and into verse 15. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So God shows us here in his word that we can be certain that if we love 
one another, if we have this love for one another, we are alive in Christ. But if that love does not exist, but rather hatred, then we are still dead in our sins. And again, when you reflect back before you were a Christian, the last thing that you wanted to do was be around people who loved God. Right? And they're talking about the things of God and what a joy it is to live a holy life before God and to be around His people and to hear the Word of God. And you're just thinking, get me out of here. <laughs> right? But when you become a Christian, that all changes. Your heart desires to be with the people of God. So this is what John is laying out for us here. And this is why he gives us this negative example to avoid in verse 12. Look what he says here. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So there was that aspect of that, that jealousy that was going on there, that hatred that was going on there. And John goes all the way back here to Genesis and the account of the first brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain murdered Abel because his deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. And Cain represents the non-Christian world that looks upon Christians with hatred because the Christian's life includes something of the aroma of what it is to love Christ and to glorify God. People don't like that scent by nature of a person that loves God and wants wants to glorify him. Matter of fact, you see that in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2, verses 15 and 16, he says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Right? So that's the transition that happens when you become a Christian. That which you, which you used to abhor being around the people of God, studying the Word of God with them, is now what you, you delight in. So if you're a child of God, you will love being with God's people. You won't be like Cain, who is described as being of the evil one, who disdains being around Christians. And again, when, when, when you think about your conversion, that's one of the greatest marks that is seen in our conversion is that we now love and long to be with God's people and to talk about Christ and his glory and all that he has done. Um, You've probably heard me refer to this before because I love this little track that J.C. Ryle wrote called Are You Born Again? And if you haven't ever read that, it wouldn't take you long to read through it. You can just jump online, type in J.C. Ryle, Are You Born Again? A wonderful track that kind of walks through 1 John. But here's what he says in particular to 1 John 3.14 about this aspect of loving the brethren. He says this, A man who is born again has a special love for all true disciples of Christ. Like his Father in heaven, he loves all men with a great general love, but he has a special love for those who share his faith in Christ. Like his Lord and Savior, he loves the worst of sinners and could weep over them. But he has a peculiar love for those who are believers. He is never so much at home as when he is in their company. He feels they are all members of the same family. They are his fellow soldiers fighting against the same enemy. They are his fellow travelers journeying along the same road. He understands them and they understand him. They may be very different from himself in many ways, in rank, in station, and in wealth, but that does not matter. 
They are his father's sons and daughters, and he cannot help loving them. Amen. I think Ryle understands exactly what 1 John 3, verse 14 was, was talking about. Now, when we start discussing this, oftentimes we can feel a sense of discouragement because I think all of us can look at our lives and say, man, I, I don't love like I should. Right? Does anybody feel the weight of that? You know, we have love for one another, but this love is still in progress. Amen? It's being displayed. It's not where it should be because we do not love one another perfectly, but there ought to be a progressive aspect to our love. Right? So we should be loving one another more and more. There should be a continual growth in our love for each other. And this love that we're speaking of is a love, listen, that is birthed out of God's love for us. Revealed most clearly in the death of his son, which is the second point on your notes there, that God reveals his love in the sacrifice of his own son. This is what John says as he continues on here in verse 16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. Also, 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So John lays out here that in sending his son to die for us, the Father gave us the most glorious gift imaginable. Amen. The the greatest act of love is displayed at the cross. Also, in volunteering to take our place, that is to be our substitute and, and to bear the Father's wrath for us, Jesus made the most extraordinary sacrifice of love possible. Greater love has no one than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends right, and his brothers. So if we want to know what love is, we must look at Jesus first and foremost, hanging on the cross in our place, condemned by God so that we could be free and punished by God so that we would be healed and despised and rejected by both men and God because of our sin. You know, I, I think Isaiah 53 really explains this concept well. Verses 4 through 6 here in Isaiah 53 says, and I want you to notice here this aspect of substitution that is taking place, and you can see it when you highlight on the pronouns that are used in this passage. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So in other words, the Jews were looking at Christ and saying, he's getting exactly what he deserves. He's, he, this is evidence, because cursed is everyone that's hung on a tree. right? If he, if he wasn't a sinner, certainly he wouldn't be dying on that cross the way that he is. And they didn't recognize that there was a substitutionary aspect that was taking place. So Isaiah goes on, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So you see this aspect of substitution all throughout this this passage here. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
Right, so just a, a very powerful passage that lays out this aspect of the substitutionary work of Christ on behalf of his people. Additionally, you have here in Romans 5, very popular passage for us. We see that God's love, this is a rescuing love, that it comes to us, listen, before we have any interest at all in it. Right? We don't say, oh, I'm going to love God on our own. No, it's because of that love for us. And look at this, Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. I know it's a very popular passage and we can just probably quote it and move on to the next one. Now, this is saying something very powerful, right? And very important for us to remember is that God didn't look down upon a people and say, man, they really love me, so I'm going to go die for them. No, they hate me and I'm going to go die for them. It's just foreign. I mean, you don't have anything like it. There's nothing comparable to this. Nobody else does something like this except for God. And you read on in Romans 5, you see that another word that is used synonymously for sinners is the word enemies. Okay, so this aspect, while we were still sinners, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. So this sacrifice that Christ has made on our behalf, and this is really important, this informs and shapes our love for one another. God reveals his love through the death of his son, but you'll see there on your notes also that he reveals his love through his people. Look what 1 John 3.16, it goes on to say here, by this we know love that he laid down his his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Right? So you see that aspect of model. So here's what God has done for us in Christ, and now empowered by his Spirit, we lay down our lives for our, our brothers. Right? So there's this aspect of, of sacrifice that is taking place. And then in 1 John 4.11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I can't overemphasize the importance of understanding how that love is the foundation upon which or from which our love for one another flows. You know, we, we, can, we can look around and we can see a world that, that claims to love one another and indeed it can have an act of benevolence toward one another and there can be a sort of natural love that takes place. But the scriptures define the type of love that we're to have one another as a supernatural love. In fact, it's a fruit of the Spirit. So love is not something that comes naturally to us. It must be birthed out of us by the work of the Spirit in our lives. If that love is going to be genuine. So our love for one another is rooted in God's love for us. And the more we contemplate the way God has loved us, the more we are empowered by His Spirit to express that love toward each other. Okay, so that's an important point to make sure that you... You get here because we we don't want to, and I'm sure you've probably seen this in your own life, just trying to get enough strength from within myself to love somebody else, right? And normally, how how can I tell if that's my 
act of trying to love or if that's the spirit working through me. It, it comes with bitterness. And, man, I'm always helping this person out, man. It's like all the time I'm doing this, but I'll do it again. And there's grumbling and complaining and, you know, so on and so forth. Rather than, man, think of what God has done for me in Christ. Man, let me just lay down my life and help. And, and that's, that's supernatural. That has to happen. That's what we'd be begging for every day is, God, help me to love my brothers and sisters in the way that I ought to and that I see from your word. And so as we look further here in chapter 4, we see in the next verse, verse 12, tells us something very important here, and that is this. The command for Christians to love one another, listen, is what makes our love for God visible. What he says here in 1 John 4.12, No one has ever seen God, okay, despite claims that people may be making. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So John tells us here that our love for an unseen God is made visible in our love for each other. Right? So, you can learn a lot about how somebody loves God by seeing how they love their brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? If there's, you know, you get this mentality, I'm sure you've probably bumped into these people from from time to time that they're not affiliated with any church. They're just kind of out there on their own. God and I have our own thing going on. And this is a powerful passage to take people to and say, okay, so you're claiming that you love God, but that you don't have any fellowship with his people. And, And what the scriptures teach is that this is how your love for God is displayed. So whatever profession you may have in your love for God, it's a false profession. So that's important to see. So the presence, listen, the presence of other Christians in our lives provides the opportunity to express our love to God. Isn't that an amazing reality? Right? My love for God will be displayed in my love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what John is saying here in in 1 John 12. 1 John 4.12. So the fact that other Christians surround us is what allows us to make clear that we do love the Lord. Other Christians, listen, they don't exist to serve us and our happiness or to be tolerated despite the inconvenience we sometimes cause one another. Right? No, other Christians exist within or, or with us in the church so that we might demonstrate our affection for the Savior by loving them. This is why John says later on here in verse 20 of chapter 4, he says this, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Right? So it's just, John just makes this very clear for us, right? There's no ambiguity there in this. It's very clear. This is an impossibility. You can't sit, claim that you love God and say that you don't love his people. A loveless Christian is a contradiction in terms. But as verse 12 says, if we love one another, 
What does this say here? If we love one another, God abides in us. That's how we know that God abides in us. I love what Tabidi Anyabuile says regarding this, and I quote, Other Christians are like billboards on which we paint our message of love to God for all the passing world to see. God has begun the revelation of his love through Christ crucified, but he continues the revelation of his love through Christians unified, loving one another in the church. Very, I think, succinct and powerful statement there by the Beatty. So Christian love is real and tangible, right? It's not just just lip service that, yeah, I love God, but there's no demonstration of that. Uh, just as God's life is not in a murderous man, as we saw in 1 John 3.15, that we know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him, the love of God is also not in a selfish man, as we see in 1 John 3.17. Look at this passage here again with me, 1 John 3.16-18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So, so John gives this, this test here, right? He says, so you're, you're proclaiming to love, love God. So let's just take a look at this. And he uses this aspect of how we handle our material possessions in the face of a brother or sister's need to say a lot about our spiritual condition and our love for God. It's very, very practical and very challenging, isn't it? How we regard other Christians in their need says a lot about the authenticity of our love for God. This is what it means to be the church, right? Genuine Christians with open hearts and open hands to other Christians in need. So a genuine Christian loves in truth and action, in word and deed. And we are to be a people who have come to know God's love and who spread that love to one another so that God's love is made visible to a watching world. Okay, So that, that's a, a, a great test that John just lays out there. He says, here's the tangibility of your faith. You have the ability, you see a brother and sister in need, what do you do? If the love of God is in you, you're going to help. Okay, You're going to help. Okay, so that brings us here to the to the last point. And that is, if we love as Jesus has commanded, and that which befits the true Christian, we will gain assurance of our salvation. Notice here, we won't gain salvation, but we will gain assurance of it. And John lays out for us here, he gives us three tests, so you can just kind of jot these down to help us know if we are truly in Christ. First, he gives that ethical test of love. 
he points here to this frailty of our human heart. And perhaps you have battled with this, your heart condemning you or accusing you that you're not really a Christian. Has anybody ever battled with that? How about this week at all? Anybody battled with that? Right? I mean, the, the accusations are constant. You know, you're, you're not really a Christian. You don't really have the truth that the truth really isn't in you because if it was, certainly you wouldn't do that or you would have done this. But listen, John says here that, that our love for other Christians, even though it's imperfect, but it's growing, is what silences those condemning whispers in our own heart. First John 3 verses 19 and 20. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and look, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Now, what, what the, the by this here in 1 John three nineteen through 20 follows on the heels of what we just read in verses 6 through 18 about that tangible practical way of loving our brothers and sisters. So we know that we belong to the truth if we love the brethren in truth and action. And where that love is present and ongoing, we know our profession to be true. So in the presence of God, our hearts are set at rest. And he rephrases the same type of mentality here in chapter 4, in verses 16 and 17. He says this, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Isn't that an amazing statement? so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. In other words, the battle that goes on at times within us is a lack of confidence for the day of judgment. Right? And what if I show up on that day? And, right? and then your heart starts going in all these, in these different places. When we love one another, we like Christ who loves his own bride, his, his own body, can have confidence before that day. We recognize something has changed within my heart. Right? I, I love God and I love his people. Do I love him or them like I want to? No, I don't. But is there a love there? Is, is there a desire there? Man, I want to love God today and I want to be a blessing to his people. I love being around the saints of God and having them speak into my life and using whatever gifts I might, may have to be a blessing to them. So if we live in the world with that kind of love, then the day of judgment, listen, it holds no threat for us. We remain confident because the love of Christ has been evident in our lives. And then notice what he says here, following, uh, read your scriptures here, I don't have this one up on the, on the screen here. He goes on in verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, 
And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Really important passage there, right? So that, that confidence that we can have before God is because of the work that Christ has done in our lives. And the more, listen, the more that we understand that love, the greater confidence that we have before him. And that's why he says here, for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So I think all of us are on that path, that growing path of growing in our confidence before God. And again, it's not a confidence. I want to be clear that what John's not saying here. He's not saying that you're going to stand on your own and have confidence in yourself on that day. He's saying the display of your love for one another now is the confidence that when you get to that day, all is well. Because you've seen this transformation that has taken place in your life and this love that God has given for you. Okay, so that's, that's an important uh, aspect of it. The second test, okay, so he gives the first test, that ethical test of love. Then he also gives here this behavioral test of obedience. Okay, so not only does love give us confidence, but so does our, our obedience. Okay, 1 John three twenty one through 22. And Lydia, can I have you read that? Okay, thank you. So John says here, because we obey God and please him in our actions, we gain confidence before him and he answers our prayers. Now again, we have to clarify what is being said here because none of us perfectly obeys God. Amen? That's the longing of my heart every morning that I arise and I pray that is yours as well. Oh, to live in complete obedience to God today. What a joy that would be. Could you imagine just walking through this world one day in complete obedience to God? That is the longing that we have. Listen, and that's, that's the Spirit testifying that that day is coming for us in Christ. That cry of our hearts will be answered on that day. But not only that, but we also look back to Christ and we say, man, every day He lived, He lived perfectly. And that righteousness has been credited to my account. That, that's amazing. To me, And that's why you have that desire, because that is the spirit that resides within you, that cries out, oh, I just want to live a righteous life, because I know that in walking in obedience to God, fellowship with Him is sweeter. Right? Isn't it our disobedience that breaks up that intimacy in our fellowship with Christ? And that's what breaks the Christian's heart more than anything. I mean, I want fellowship with God. I want to know Him more and more and more. And so our sin grieves us because it puts a barrier between us and God. We grieve the Holy Spirit. And we don't want to do that. Well, well, how then, according to what John is saying then, how then can we have confidence if we are those who do not perfectly obey? How can we be certain that our prayers will be answered? Right? We, we say we know He'll answer our prayers because we keep His commandments. And I'm looking at my life and I'm saying... Man, I just don't feel like I'm keeping them like I ought to. So, man, my prayers are just probably hitting the ceiling and dropping right back down on me. But listen, 
you've got to keep reading. This is where context becomes so, so important. Notice as John goes on here in verse 23. So he clarifies it. You have this, verses 21 and 22. We, we are, we're keeping his commandments, and then John clarifies it. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. It reminds me back in, in John chapter 6, if you want to turn there with me, something that will be very familiar here. So turn with me to John chapter 6, and, and if you remember, this is the section where, where Jesus is, has just fed the people with, with the bread. And I'm going to pick up here in verse 26 in John chapter 6. Well, I'll start back in verse 25, actually. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you, are, you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, watch this, this is really important here, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That, that's where it's all found, right? So any obedience that flows out of our lives is grounded in this reality that by grace we have obeyed the command that was laid out for us here to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And now through that, we can love one another. So that's the confidence that we have. It's not that, man, I've... I've just done a really good job keeping the commandments of God my, my whole life. No, it's that God in his mercy opened my eyes to obey this one commandment, to believe in the name of the Son of God. And through that, I am empowered to walk in a manner that is pleasing to him. So how is it that one pleases God, the one who comes to his Son in repentance and faith, the one who looks to him alone. And it's out of that that we are empowered by his spirit to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. I love what Colossians 3 says here, that our lives are hid in Christ so that God does not now look upon us in our sin, but in the righteousness of his Son. Isn't that beautiful? Your lives are hid with Christ in God, and when Christ is revealed, you'll also be revealed with Him. The reality of who we truly are is going to be manifested on that day. But you're seeing it displayed in your life now by that life of righteousness that you're, that you're leading, right? You're turning away from sin. You're desiring to live a life that is pleasing to God. That is the Spirit at work within you. And the Spirit is testifying that that day is coming where you will walk in perfect communion with God forever. And that is the longing of the Christian heart. So the person who truly comes to Christ loves God 
and loves those whom God has also made his own. And isn't that what Jesus said, that all the law and the prophets are summed up in that command to love God and your neighbor as yourself. So obedience to this command is the ground and the power out of which all other aspects of obedience flows. And then that takes us into this third test here as we, as we wrap up that John refers to here. And this is the spiritual test of assurance. You have the ethical test of love. You have the behavioral test of obedience. The spiritual test of assurance. And here's what John goes on to say in 1 John 3, 24, and then also chapter 4, verse 13. Ryan, would you mind reading those two passages? Okay, so the testimony, listen, the testimony of the Holy Spirit is the greatest of all assurances that we are in Christ. The Spirit operates in us initially to turn us from whatever it was that we were trusting in to be made right with God, to look at Christ and Him crucified, and to say, my hope and my trust is in Him alone. That's, that's that first act of repentance. That first act of repentance is God turning you in his mercy from whatever it was that you were trusting in to be made right with God to trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And if we believe, it's because the Spirit has made us alive. He has given us the new birth as John testifies in John chapter 3. And if we love, listen, it's because love is the fruit of the Spirit. That's why we love. It's the supernatural love that you have is because the Spirit of God resides in us. Paul makes this clear in Romans 8.16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, I, I want to just think here before we, before we close. How, how does the Spirit bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God? What does that look like in our lives? Give me some feedback on that. What are some evidences that you have seen in your life since becoming a Christian of the Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God? Okay, good. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Right. Right, so con- conviction of sin, right? So that's a great evidence that the Spirit of God, right? And, and in particular when you're alone in the quietness of your own heart, right, and nobody else is around, and that conviction just weighs on you, right? You're like, man, this isn't pleasing. This is crazy. This didn't bother me at all, you know, before. And now, man, I'm just so convicted over it that I've got to get it right. So that's, that's good evidence. Justin, did you have one right there? Amen. Amen. 
Amen. That which was dead now becomes life. Dinalyn? Amen. Right. Amen. 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 It's good. All right. We'll go ladies first. We'll go Jenna, then Joe. <laughs> Yeah, that's okay. We were going to say the same thing that happens yeah. when you're married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> comfort and comfort and affliction. Yes. Like, you can't be comforted sometimes by anybody else, but the Lord bringing those scriptures to your mind and being reminded of the truth. Amen. Amen. This is how we're thinking of it. Okay. <laughs> like, I was going to say just a desire to want to share God's truth with family members that are not saved or right. co-workers. Or Amen. Right, exactly. Amen. Good. Will? Amen. Yeah. A, a love for, for the church, right? People are like, man, you, why do you spend so much time with, you know, the people of God and, you know, it's just your life and amen, that is my life. Yeah, I, I love being with God's people. I mean, we're going to be together for all of eternity. You know, and that, that's, your, that's your longing. So, amen. Good. Thank you for just kind of chiming in on that because that, that is one of the, you know, the greatest evidence is that we see. What's really interesting there in Romans chapter 8, when Paul's talking about this aspect, and I think a lot of Christians get discouraged because, again, we don't see perfection in our lives that we want to see, right? We want to see, man, if the Spirit of God was truly within me, then why am I still battling with, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever that, that case may be. But the fact now that there is a war against whatever that sin is, is evidence that the Spirit is working in you. But He's not allowing you to just stay dormant when it comes to whatever that sin may be, that you hate it, that you have a loathing of it, that you have that, that cry when you read through Romans 7 and with Paul and you just say, Amen! Right? No, I, I hate doing that. Why do I do that? Right? Why, why do I do that? I long to be free from, you know, who's going to deliver me? Praise the Lord. Jesus Christ will deliver us on, on that day. So those are just a, a few of the things here in, in conclusion that, that God has given us one another in the church, to love each other, and in so doing, we will be demonstrating our love for Him. And through this, the body of Christ will be built up, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.16, that when each member is functioning properly, when we're using the gifts that God has given us, when we are loving one another as we ought to, the body builds itself up in love. But not only that, not only will the body of Christ be built up, but listen, also a watching world will see the reality that, listen, there is a community of people on this earth where love abounds in a multitude of circumstances. And this is how Jesus said that they will know you are my disciples, by your love for, for one another. So, let us be exhorted to, to ponder the love that God has displayed for us in His Son. And listen, may that love be the fountain out of which Christ-glorifying love abounds here in this church. I want to finish by reading Paul's prayer for the Ephesians 
and that we would make it our own as well. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And let's read verses 14 through 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you again for your word. And Lord, make this prayer a reality in our lives. I ask that you indeed would give us strength to be empowered by your spirit to know this love that we have been given in Christ. The depth of it, the height of it, the length and the breadth of it, Father. That we might be filled with all the fullness of God. And Lord, I pray that your love for us truly would be the fountain out of which our love abounds for one another. And I pray that you would increase that through the power of your Spirit, Lord, that we would be a church that deeply loves one another. And that it would be an evidence of your grace in our lives and also to a watching world, Father, that they would truly see that we are disciples of Christ and that in this your name would be magnified. Pray that you would bless our time now as we move into the main service. Lord, grant us attentiveness as the word is proclaimed. Help us to be those who are hungry for you. We thank you for these things in Christ's name. Amen.